You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews from experts around the world on the latest and most interesting issues on human rights and international humanitarian law. My name is Jamie Bowd, and we are broadcasting from the Raoul Wallenby Institute in Lund, Sweden. On today's episode, we speak to the Raoul Wallenby Institute's director, Morten Karam, as he reflects on some of the key events and changes to human rights discourse over the past decade. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. So it's the end of, coming into the end of the year and also the end of the decade, which is often time for celebration and a bit of rest even, but also often a time for reflection and to look sort of of what's happened in the last decade, but also looking into the years ahead. So firstly, I'm just wondering if you could give us a bit of a review in terms of human rights, some defining moments of perhaps the last decades and maybe what's changed over the last 10 years or so. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating now being here at the threshold to the third uh, decade of uh, the 21st century. Time runs uh, very fast here. and uh, But looking back, uh, the second decade, the teens, uh, definitely dominated by the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2010, we were in the middle of the financial crisis starting out in 2008. And that has uh, been a dominant uh, feature of of the development of of human rights. There's no doubt that where we saw from 1990 uh, up through the 90s into the zeros, we saw a lot of tailwind for democracy, for human rights. Uh, Then uh, coming into the financial crisis post 9-11 and issues like that sort of coming together gave uh, much more headwind to human rights in general. Uh, in particular, I would say, in the political uh, rhetoric. Because if we then move a little bit into the teens, there are definitely also elements which draws in the opposite direction uh, in 2015. Amazing year where we, uh, the international community, all the countries in the world, adopted the Sustainable uh, Development Goals, uh, the so-called uh, SDGs. Uh, which are sort of setting the agenda to uh, 2030. What is it that we should achieve? They uh, followed the Millennium Development Goals. And they are groundbreaking in the sense that, first of all, they created a set of global standards, so for all countries, as well as they integrated human rights and development peace uh, in, uh, in new ways. But at the same time, in 2015, we also had the climate conference uh, in Paris. The agreement was reached, and again with human rights uh, in a prominent position in the preambular paragraphs of the the agreement uh, from Paris. So seeing climate and human rights as an integrated uh, whole. We have seen issues that we tried in the previous uh, maybe more sort of a positive decade, like mm-hmm. corruption. Yeah. Uh, some of us tried in the in the zeros, tried to move that agenda, and and to be honest, it totally fell flat, mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to discuss the link between human rights and corruption. Whereas now, when it was again put on the agenda uh, here in the middle of uh, the teens, uh, it's sort of picking up everywhere, and suddenly people see the clear link how corruption erodes, human rights erodes, democratic institutions, and uh, and therefore we need to see the link between these two elements. So a number of of, uh, things uh, have happened, and of course you cannot mention the teens without also mentioning the the political uh, pressures that followed in the wake of the uh, refugee movements uh, in uh, Europe, 
in 2014-15, uh, where we saw the Syrian refugees coming from uh, Turkey in particular towards uh, Europe, which uh, put a lot of pressure on the European institutions and countries. And where unfortunately we saw that the, the European solidarity didn't live up to uh, what we had uh, hoped for. And I would almost say, as always, when these things happen in Europe, they almost get some sort of global uh, dimension, uh, although it was very focused uh, on Europe. So these are some of the uh, the developments that we have seen, and uh, and here towards the very end of the uh, decade, uh, the climate uh, issue, and again the link between uh, climate and human rights has uh, emerged uh, very high on on the agenda coming forward from the the Paris uh, Agreement. Those are all really important events and topics, and I'm wondering as well how. The Rawalambay Institute fits into this dynamic and changing landscape because, as you said, human rights have kind of almost running parallel where there is a sort of tailwind in some areas where perhaps there's been positive changes, such as corruption, as you mentioned, but then others where it's kind of gone a little backwards in terms of migration, possibly in Europe and things like that. So how is the organisation working with these issues and how has perhaps their way of working with them changed over the past decade? The, the work of the Rolf-Wannenberg Institute very much developed uh, with the tailwind. Sort of how do we now integrate human rights uh, in the judicial systems in new democracies or countries that were uh, moving in uh, that direction and working with the police forces and, and others in law reforms. And so there was a tremendous momentum and that's sort of where the Rolf-Wannenberg Institute came from. So naturally, when things start changing, we also need to revise our thinking and say, but one thing is how you work with the issues when you have a lot of tailwind, but when certainly the mood changes, what do you then do? So what we did from the mid-teens with the new strategy from 2017 to 21, we sort of identified some more specific areas that we should look into and also very much inspired by the uh, sustainable development goals the SDGs mm-hmm. we said let's let's work not only in the global south but globally so also addressing issues in Sweden in Europe and strengthening at the same time our project implementing offices to really turn them into to uh, stronger offices and thereby create let's say more of a global dialogue about some of these uh, issues which uh, we are all addressing but of course from different outsets wherever we are but a lot of the concerns it comes to discrimination it comes to climate issues uh, uh, migration issues i mean we see across the the continents in different shades and colors uh, but but still um, some with some of the same features and we can all benefit from from that exchange mm-hmm. so we have gone through that uh, reshaping yeah. or adjustment i would say of of uh, the organization mm-hmm. but also then focusing on some of the new actors coming in so we have engaged uh, in working with the municipalities yeah. uh, local authorities you could almost say as also as a natural flow human mm-hmm. rights starting uh, as part of our foreign policy after the second world war up through the mm-hmm. 60s 70s and 80s part of the cold war and then into the 90s where we domesticated it took it back to the national level we started discussing human rights in national parliaments our courts uh, brought it about 
But in the end, I think everybody realized that if human rights are not relevant where mm -hmm. people live, I mean, at the very local level, yes. I mean, then all the other things may not be all that relevant. Mm -hmm. Still relevant, but... Yeah. Uh, so now the next step is that local level authorities mm -hmm. see it increasingly as a, their responsibility as well to uh, ensure that human rights are protected locally. So that's yeah. just, uh, uh, let's say, one of the new agendas mm -hmm. we have backed upon, as well as the issue of the link between corruption mm -hmm. and human rights, climate... Uh, we are very much engaged in disaster displacement that we see many places. So, mm -hmm. so we are trying to play in constructively uh, to some of the uh, the new challenges, mm -hmm. but also not forgetting that, uh, so to say, the work we did before, working with the jud judiciary and some of the key pillars mm -hmm. in any democratic society, of course, always need to be on our agenda. We mm -hmm. always, always need to be contributing to strengthening their role in society. Great. I think that, like you said, it's a very interesting and multifaceted work that we do here at the Rawal Mbai. So it's it's nice to hear that we're kind of adapting and things as well. Leading from that, where do you see the organisation and human rights in general, in fact? What do you see as the key issues sort of coming into the third decade of the 21st century, as you said? So what's what's on the cards for the future, do you think, if you got your crystal ball out? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think one element uh, that we have seen in, in the various, sort of say, in the end of this uh, decade is... Uh, the youngsters mm -hmm. uh, coming out in a very powerful, very vocal uh, way. And of course, uh, Greta Thunberg, who is on everybody's lips uh, uh, when it comes to climate. But there's, there are many more Greta Thunbergs uh, mm -hmm. out there who may not get as much attention as, as she does. But as a symbol, she stands out uh, very mm -hmm. clearly. And uh, But we see a, a generation of, uh, of youngsters who take responsibility and try to push... Uh, some of these very important uh, agendas that we have. Uh, we also saw a very strong mobilization of civil society mm -hmm. with the refugee challenges in Europe in, in the midst of, uh, of the teens, around 15, 14, 15, 16, mm -hmm. which is still there. The engagement is still, of course, not as high as it, as it was at that time, but, but it's still there. So there is a stronger bottom-up uh, approach, which is also symbolized in uh, the work, uh, the human rights responsibilities that are now being addressed in municipalities. Mm -hmm. So we say so that very local level engagement in some of these core values mm -hmm. is something that uh, we have just seen the beginning of, uh, and will uh, uh, hopefully, and I'm quite certain, will will be uh, important agendas for the next uh, decade as well. Mm -hmm. Another element for the next decade is also uh, the, let's say, how we adjust the inequality. Mm -hmm. uh, it has been discussed and talked about uh, throughout uh, the, uh, I mean, after the financial crisis. Uh, but yet again, we still need to see some real impact of uh, some of the, the recognitions of the damaging impact that it has on societies when the inequalities grow too big. So mm -hmm. the demonstrations, popular uh, demonstrations that we have seen in a number of countries uh, in the last few years, mm -hmm. uh, we saw in uh, 2019 mm -hmm. uh, in Chile, in Lebanon, 
and other places that people are really on the streets. And what what I in particular took note of is uh, the demonstrations and the outcome of the demonstrations mm-hmm. in a country like Chile, where sort of the, one of the conclusions was that we need to address and change the constitution. Mm-hmm. So sort of the, the legal framework for yeah. the state was what they addressed. That's sort of an interesting. It was not only about the politicians to leave and sort of the, the usual demands, but here was we need a new constitution. And then you go back and say, what, what is it with that constitution? Well, it was made under Pinochet, but it was also very much, let's say, the uh, Chicago school constitution creating also the neoliberal framework for, for the uh, Chilean uh, economy. And I believe that that is some of the elements that will be changed, again also to, to strengthen the human rights and the democratic uh, institutions, which are definitely being eroded when the inequality gets too big, as we have seen in some of the Latin American countries, countries like South Africa uh, and elsewhere. And of course, I fully recognize this is also in combination with other challenges. I think you bring up a really interesting point about activism, and we've seen a lot of that in the past decade, whether you look at the Arab Spring or the recent, more recent ones you've been mentioning, but do you think there's a greater awareness of human rights now with sort of the interconnection of digital technology and sort of global awareness, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for human rights? I, th- I think it's, I always think it's positive when uh, when people react, as long as they react sort of within the democratic uh, framework and with mm-hmm. peaceful, peaceful means. And uh, then it's important that people's moral imagination mm-hmm. constantly wants to push them forward and say no, and they say no, we don't. We don't want it this way. We can we can do better in our community, mm-hmm. and and then uh, take to the streets. They make themselves hurt in in one or the other uh, way. That is positive, and it always has been. I mean, human rights have always been won by people raising it. It's very rare that the the powers that be are sort of say granting human yeah. rights uh, to people. It has happened every now and then, but mm-hmm. the most dominant is that. I mean, there were small NGOs mm-hmm. uh, working for freeing the slaves. They could act, They had a moral imagination, imagining a world without slaves. Mm-hmm. And of course, you had a big group saying, "No, no, no, that is impossible. We need the slaves yeah. for the economy, for for wh- who should take care of our children and mm-hmm. our whatever at home, and and so on." Later on, you had uh, some people who actually were so daring and brave that they could foresee, they had an imagination that women could actually take part in political life. Women take part in political life? Why? I mean, Mm. their vote would just be doubling up of the men's vote because they would just vote the same as the men. That was one of the arguments against it. And all the other arguments why women should not have the right to vote. But again, the push from grassroots, from women organizations and others, then led to the changes that we take so much for granted uh, today. And you can move on, you can say, I mean, when I was a child in the uh, 60s and 70s, the LGBT issue Mm -hmm. was definitely not something one discussed, not even when I was a youngster, but that came in in the 90s, much more powerful. Mm -hmm. Again, a push from the LGBT groups themselves and from others, human rights groups, asking the, the rights and equal treatment of uh, LGBT. So always from bottom up, we need to hear 
people and we need to ask people, we need to engage people. Mm -hmm. And that's another agenda also for the next decade, and that is the engagement of people. And that is, of course, where the municipalities, the local Mm -hmm. level authorities have a tremendous power to make that outreach yeah. uh, to people and engage them in the decision making of course this decision making about themselves but also decision making about sort of the, their local community mm-hmm. how do we create a more inclusive society yeah it's really interesting point to make the local level needs to be engaged in human rights but i think human rights is often such a generalized term that sometimes they're a bit difficult to access. I'm wondering if tools such as the SDGs make them more accessible to the general public so that people can engage in a different level or how we can encourage engagement in human rights because sometimes people find it difficult to engage in human rights. They might say, I'm interested in sustainability but I'm not sure about this human rights business. How can we sort of get over that perhaps barrier to engagement and encourage more people on all levels to be engaged? It's a very good question, and I first of all, I think we have to uh, realize or accept that the SDGs, I mean, we could learn so much from the way they mm-hmm. have been communicated. Mm. It's a brilliant. I mean, think about it. They were adopted in 2015, mm-hmm. and today they're all over the world. People recognize the nice colors, the the squares and, and so on. So, mm. so they have really captured. They have been, uh, they're coming out there both because of the way they're communicated, but also it's sort of an accessible language. It's understandable. So the human rights world, which definitely have never been very good in communicating, there we can learn a lot. Mm-hmm. But we can also, and uh, we see human rights sort of cutting across mm-hmm. uh, the SDGs. It's not sort of very explicit. It's in there every, a few places, but definitely, I mean, on education, on gender equality, on all the different issues, sort of human rights is is the backdrop for uh, for the, uh, the SDGs. And it's that interrelatedness that gives me a lot of hope that it can re-engage people in the uh, human rights area because we have lost a bit in probably human rights have been mm-hmm. become sort of by the mainstreaming of human rights that we have seen human rights is sort of mm-hmm. getting into so many different areas has also made it more complicated mm-hmm. had made it more technical and in some cases made it very legal so if you are not a well-trained lawyer then forget about it don't mm-hmm. uh, it's not your your area and of course it's your area i mean these core values should be everybody's commitment so it's and that's where the sdgs may help us mm-hmm. to regain both support and a momentum for for human rights because we should not forget that the sdgs they sort of have an expiry date, yes. uh, 2030, mm-hmm. uh, where human rights, they have been there for long and hopefully mm-hmm. will also continue long after mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the SDGs, after 2030. Yeah. You've mentioned a lot during this interview about the local aspect of human rights and how the bottom-up approach and grassroots play a huge role. Um, so my question is sort of how is technology also allowing these re- um, to grow, and what role has it played in the last decade? There's no no doubt that uh, new technologies uh, have played a tremendous role in tying communities together, passing the, the words not from mouth to mouth, but from telephone to telephone, from tweet to tweet. So from the very local, we have also developed an interesting global 
dialogue on a number of these uh, on the challenges. And there's no doubt that there's a lot of inspiration from the one place, one continent to the other, going via social media and, of course, also new uh, other technologies. So the new technologies are there for the to promote protect uh, human rights uh, in many ways, also using it to promote, let's say, good practice from courts. And here we're already uh, looking into how we can use artificial intelligence uh, much more proactively in this regard. And when that is said, there's, of course, also the flip side, that we now see a convergence of new technologies in an hitherto unheard speed, and where when we hear that uh, tech people sort of feel that they are now losing control or what, what is actually happening mm-hmm. and who else are maybe taking control. or I mean, there's so many unknowns in the technological developments that we need to have a more, much more vigilant human rights approach to uh, the way these things are developed. So we need sort of both the humanities, the human rights dimensions, into, I would almost say, from the very design of artificial intelligence and whatever may come uh, in the new decade of of new technologies. So a stronger collaboration, and that's of course where a place like the Wallenberg Wallenberg Institute, together with Lund University and other universities, uh, have a tremendous, uh, let's say, asset in the sense that we have the humanities, we have the tech people, uh, and we have the human rights people, uh, philosophers, mm-hmm. and we need to sit together in devising the future uh, technologies. So we are not. So it doesn't take over from us, mm-hmm. but becomes that uh, strong tool uh, that can actually help human beings in creating a better, better societies and better lives. Mm-hmm. Going into the future, what you mentioned hope from the. Inst- that they give you hope, the SDGs, but what else gives you hope going into the next decade? What do you hope to see? I, I, if I should uh, start with where I maybe have big problems at the moment mm-hmm. is that, I mean, having worked now for 35 years on, on human rights and you sort of, when you work on human rights, you tend to, then you focus on torture, sort of mm-hmm. say the people, that group who are being tortured. Or you look at a particular group, ethnic minorities, racism, you look on gender equality, women. So you sort of look at particular groups which are vulnerable. Now with the climate change, it's sort of everybody Mm -hmm. that are vulnerable. Across all segments of society, across the globe. So I think that has been sort of a a, a very, let's say, been a very powerful uh, personal uh, sort of considerations on Mm -hmm. And how do we re- how do I relate to that? I mean, now it's the entire mankind. Mm-hmm. What can human rights actually offer here? Yeah. And should we start being a little bit more humble in the way of mm-hmm. have we not been good enough in getting, for example, the nature into the human rights dimension? Human rights is by nature sort of the human being yeah. first, but maybe we should also getting the nature dimension in there in in some way or another. Maybe we have not been good enough at that. Uh, so the, these are some of the reflections uh, that we, I think, are coming up and uh, we need to address because uh, otherwise uh, human rights will not may not be very interesting if, sort of say, 
the climate uh, just continues changing as, as we see it now and, and we are not taking the necessary uh, steps. At the mm-hmm. same time, I would say that one of the discussions that have coming up in different places and I, I'm being asked time and again is that, and that will continue into the new decade, is that, uh, but don't you think uh, authoritarian states and non-democratic states are better in uh, addressing climate issues than uh, democracies. Democracies just end up uh, uh, talking and talking and talking and uh, not moving. And there I must say, I think when I look across the globe today, I would say those countries which are taking the most important steps addressing the climate change are the the democratic part of the world. The more Mm -hmm. democratic they are, the more powerful steps they also take. Not that the other states are not taking steps, uh, they are luckily because... We all have to, but mm-hmm. but I mean, addressing the climate change in a focused manner and mm-hmm. uh, really with impact, I mean, that will still be with the democracies in the lead. And then I, I see so say, that local level uh, engagement as a very important driver yeah. in whatever uh, happens in, in coming years. That it has really, human rights has been, been mainstreamed, it has uh, been built into strategies, the policies, and the way uh, people increasingly interact when you are in a situation of power. Again, if we go back to the mid-90s, when some of us started working on human rights and business, people just saying, why why are you doing this? This has nothing to, there's no link between human rights and business. And today it's uh, it's common language. It's not common action, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's common language. You don't have to convince anybody about that they need to that it's something for business. There's still a long way for many mm-hmm. business to, to actually take it on board, but at least understanding it is, yeah. is always a, f- a first step. So there are many more actors now involved uh, in the human rights agenda than mm-hmm. just uh, 25 years ago. And that will continue, hopefully, also into the mm-hmm. uh, to the next decade. So I would say there are many things that makes me hopeful, uh, in particular if we, we start seeing a turn uh, uh, on the climate uh, agenda, which I mm-hmm. see as the agenda number one that we need to uh, address, mm-hmm. both I mean on all terms, but also from a human rights perspective. Well, thank you very much for this conversation and reflection. It's been a really interesting to hear you talk about it, um, and thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. That was the director of the Raoul Wollenby Institute. Morton Kyram speaking about the changing state of human rights over the past decade and his hopes for the upcoming years. This has been On Human Rights. For more information on the Raoul Wallenby Institute's work, please go to our website at www.rwi.lu.se. Thank you for listening.